This is Pastor Chris, and you're about to listen in on a teaching from Apex, our student ministry at BMHA. At Apex, we prioritize biblical teachings with practical applications for the everyday life of a 6th to 12th grade student. Thank you for listening in on this Apex teaching, and I pray that you don't walk away without looking a little bit more like Jesus. Tonight, we're continuing our series called prepared. Uh, and I love prepared. We got the suitcases. Um, your leaders are awesome and they like to make a, a, an immersive experience for you as we go into this series. Uh, and this series is all about apologetics. And uh, you may not know what that means. We went through a lot of this information two years ago, um, but at Fearless, we went to a great event called Fearless. And we talked a little bit about apologetics and it like kind of stirred up something to me that's like God saying, hey, you got to get back to apologetics. So that's what we're doing right now. Um, and it's so, so, so important. And that's why we're talking about it. So two weeks ago, we, we introduced the idea of apologetics for some of you. And you may have never heard the word before, but what it means is a defense of your faith. Being able to defend why you believe what you believe. And um, specifically, we're going to talk about a couple questions through this series. The first one with our first week was, how do you know God exists? Last week was, how do we know the Bible is true? And uh, tonight, we're going to talk about how we know Jesus was who he says he was. How, how, uh, how do we know Jesus was actually resurrected? Uh, and no one expects you to, I want to make this clear, no one expects you to have all the answers in the world. And there can be some pressure, you know, especially like in science class when they start talking about evolution and you like ask one questions like, isn't it a theory? And then like the whole place is like, you're an idiot. You know, we've all been there. <laughs> but um, no one expects you to have all the answers. And if they do, they're wrong. I guess I shouldn't say no one does because some people do. But you don't have to be afraid to talk about Jesus because you don't have all the answers. Um, your, your answer can, in a conversation about this can always be your experience with God. You say, hey, I go to a youth group uh, with Christians that love me and I, I feel the presence of God. No one's going to say, no, uh like, you can't argue with that. Like, I, I do. I did tonight. Um, and so you don't have to have all the answers. But when, you, when people talk to you about this stuff, it's cool to be able to have some answers, some historical records, some archaeological references to be able to say, hey, this is why I believe what I believe. So even if you've never heard the word apologetics, you've dealt with the principle of apologetics. Someone's asked you a question about why you believe in God, why you believe in the Bible. And... Um, the word apologetics comes from a Greek word, apologia. And that word, Greek word apologia is in our New Testament in 1 Peter 3.15. This is that, this is the theme verse for the series, and this is what it says. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. That's the name of the series. Hey, prepare. Always be prepared to give an answer. That's your word, apologia. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And we could probably do a whole series on that last sentence. But do this with gentleness and respect. because, And maybe that, especially to the uh, adult church, <laughs> uh, big church, see, with the whole world, they, they have some trouble with that sometimes. But so do we. So do I. Um, conveying, giving answers, conveying the information you have with gentleness and respect is so important. Always be prepared to give an answer. So tonight we're going to talk about some of these answers. And specifically, you know, we only have so much time, so we're zeroing in on this question tonight. How do we know Jesus was resurrected? How do we know that that actually happened? Uh, we started talking about uh, the, the proof of the existence of a God. Is there an actual God? Last week we talked about the Christian God, the God of our Christian Bible. 
And uh, with no arguments, we can say with confidence that there is a God, and the Bible is reliable, and that God is the Christian God of the Christian Bible. So tonight, we're going to talk about possible explanations for the empty tomb. Uh, we're going to look at a bunch of these possible explanations and show that Jesus' literal uh, death to life resurrection is the only plausible explanation for the empty tomb. Last week, we showed that the Bible is reliable, so we're going to start there. And uh, it's as a Christian, the resurrection of Jesus is so, so, so important to your faith. And that's what we're talking about this. If Jesus didn't defeat death, your salvation is in jeopardy. Because it was Jesus' death on the cross and then resurrection, his defeating of death, that gives you eternal life. So if we don't have a resurrected Jesus, we have a problem. And uh, we probably can just throw our Bibles away and go home. It's super important to talk about this. And it's great to have some historical understanding of why we believe what we believe. Um, that's what we're going to be doing tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Guide our discussion tonight. Guide our time. And uh, help us to find truth. And we're going to spend some time in your word, but a lot of this time, this whole series is around history or uh, around logic. And God, you're so very present in that. Even if we're not spending our whole night with our nose in the Bible, we are pursuing truth. And you are truth. And so you're at the very center of everything we're doing. So guide us as we talk about this. And uh, we love you. It's in your precious name. Everybody said, amen. So before we can even talk about this, we need to talk about how we know that there was an empty tomb. We want to say, you know, that Jesus, the tomb was empty because Jesus rose from the dead. But how do we know the tomb was empty? Uh, first of all, it's in the Bible. Last week we showed three reasons why the Bible is reliable, a trustworthy source of history. Uh, we have four accounts in the Bible of Jesus' life. And those are what we call the, the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all four of these accounts of Jesus' life mention people going to find the empty tomb. All four times the empty tomb is mentioned. You'll find it in Matthew 28, in Mark 16, in Luke 24, and in John 20. It's in all of them. I'm going to read from Luke's account because I love Luke because he was a doctor. And that meant details were very important in Luke's life. He was a doctor, so like, you need to know, you need to be careful. <laughs> like, I want my doctor to be careful. So Luke was a very, he, he paid attention to detail and nuance, and we see that in his writing. And also he wrote, if you read Luke, the very beginning of Luke, Luke like 1, 1 and 2 or so, you see that he wrote the Gospel of Luke. He wrote things down with apologetic intentions. He was writing to a man named Theophilus, and uh, he was he said, this, this account is so you know that what we're talking about is true. He was doing apologetics. So that's why I'm reading from Luke. Luke 24, um, verse 1, is that correct? Could you bring that up there? Uh, I just want to make, I didn't write the reference down, but I believe it's Luke 24, 1. It says, you don't have it? I'm, I didn't put it in there. That's right. All right, sorry. I th it is. It's Luke 24, 1. If you have your Bibles, you can bring that up. Um, yeah, you're doing that, so I'm going to give you a second. Like I said, Luke was a doctor. He wrote with detail. He wrote with apologetic intentions. And this is Luke 24, 1. It says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. So they had prepared some embalming spices, incense, that kind of stuff. They were taking it to the tomb. And they found, at the tomb, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. That's significant. And all four of the other, or all three of the other gospels tell the same story. They go to the tomb and they find no body. And that is 
very uh, suspect. Why, why was there no body in the tomb? And we see that in all four Gospels, four records of history show that. And you got to know that the Gospels were only written a few decades after the happenings. And they were written with eyewitness accounts. So these are reliable sources of history. Um, and it, what's also cool is that someone could read this gospel at the time that it was written and say, and then like walk down the road and be like, nuh-uh. Like point to the very tomb they were talking about. Like I can see the, the stone right there. Like there's still a body in there right now. Like there was no way that this was a lie <laughs> because the people at the time it was written could walk down the street and prove it and verify it. That's pretty cool. That's what's so cool about the gospels being actual history. So we also have evidence from uh, other sources besides the Bible um, that mention the empty tomb. Like we talked about last week, there are other people at this time that are recording history. Last week we talked about a guy named Josephus. He was a, a Jewish leader in Jesus' time, and he was very, very anti-Jesus. He, was, he did not think that Jesus was the Messiah, so he hated Christianity and all Christians. And he had every reason to prove that Christianity was false. But like we said last week, he talked about, instead of saying, this Jesus is not who they say he is, he's not doing any miracles, Josephus wrote about Jesus' miracles and his ministry, and uh, that's, that's really interesting. And in addition to that, he actually wrote about the empty tomb of Jesus. If Jesus wasn't who he said he was, Josephus would have been the one of many to record it and prove it. So we have it today, but that's not what you find. You find Jesus confirming what the Bible says all throughout the history we see records of an empty tomb. We can say with some confidence the tomb was empty. I am comfortable saying that. So then the question becomes, why was the tomb empty? What happened there? And uh, I, the way I see it, I think you'll agree, there are two possible explanations, human intervention and divine intervention. Either a man came in there, uh, mankind came in there. Sure, it could have been a bunch of women. I don't know. Um, either people intervened, or God intervened. Either people did something to, to take the body out of the tomb, or God actually raised Jesus from the dead, uh, and you can have faith in the resurrection. So in order to support divine intervention, what we're going to do tonight is talk about three, the three possible uh, human interventions, and I'm going to show you why none of those things are plausible. And I know that's a big claim, and I hope I come through for you. There's only so many ways a body can disappear. And um, the way I see it, and I think you're going to agree, this is just logically, there are three different ways it could have gone down. The enemies of Christianity took it. A couple Christians snuck in, ninja style, and took it. Or the third, the disciples got a big group together, and they took, they stole Jesus' body. So by showing the three, these three uh, situations, possibilities, are not plausible, I'm going to show you that it wasn't human intervention, but it was divine intervention. God raised Jesus from the dead, and that's why we have an empty tomb. So the first scenario of human intervention is that the enemies of Christ uh, stole Jesus' body. The people that did not like Christianity came in, they stole Jesus' body so that we couldn't have it or, or worship it or worship the tomb or anything like that. That The enemies came in and took it. And we've mentioned some of these enemies before. Um, most of the Jews at the time, including like the Pharisees, they didn't think Jesus was safer, a savior. This would include Josephus, like we were talking about. They hated Jesus. They hated Christians and all of Christianity. In addition to them, the other enemy would be the Roman government. And uh, this includes Pontius Pilate. If you read the story of the Gospels, you'll see Pontius Pilate making an appearance there. And their goal was peace. And the problem was Jesus was causing an uproar. He was dividing the Jewish church, and it was really, it was a mess. And that's why the Roman government was not so on board with the Jesus thing. Um, basically, anyone who wasn't a Christian wanted Christianity to fail. 
And so it could be possible that these people went into the tomb and stole Jesus' body. So let's talk about the Jews first. Um, after the empty tomb was found, all the Christians were saying, I told you so. Like, like Jesus had talked about resurrection three days after he died. He said, like, I'm going to come back. It's going to be cool. And um, at this point, if the Jews had stolen Jesus' body, they would have said, uh-uh, and like showed people his body. And so you have all these Christians saying, I told you so, I told you so, we won, we were right the whole time. And then the Jewish people could have been like, no, here's Jesus, you're wrong, and just squash Christianity immediately. That's what would have happened if the Jews had Jesus' body. They didn't produce the body because they didn't have it. What about the Romans, the Roman government? Pontius Pilate um, was actually, he actually let a serial killer go named Barabbas. If you read again the, the gospel story, um, he, let, he, he brought these two people, this Barabbas who was a serial killer, bad dude, and Jesus, and said to the people, all right, I'm going to let one of them go. Which one do you want to see die? You know what Jesus did in his life? He like performed miracles. He healed sick people. He like brought happiness and love everywhere he went. And a serial killer. And uh, Pilate's like, this is the one. Kill this guy. And the audience is like, no, we want to see Jesus dead. So, Pilate was like, he was so desperate for peace that he let a serial killer go and killed Jesus just to appease the crowd. That's the lengths the Roman government was willing to go to to keep the peace. That's huge. Now, um, we find the empty tomb, but the thing is, if the tomb is empty, it adds to the uproar. This is gasoline on the fire of Christianity. This is ammunition to Christians. It said, we told you so. We told you Jesus was going to raise from the dead. Again, even if they hadn't thought the plan through the whole way, they could have just showed the body and shut it down, but they didn't because they didn't have the body. It wouldn't have made sense for the Romans to steal Jesus' body either. I'm comfortable saying with confidence that the enemies of Christianity did not steal Jesus' body. It just wouldn't make sense for anyone to take Jesus. There's another possibility here that a couple Christians got together and stole Jesus' body in secret from everybody. And nobody knew, but these couple people went in. Now, there's a number of reasons that this explanation is not plausible. Um, everyone knew the value of this, of, of Jesus' body. This was a high-profile execution. They killed Jesus in front of people. That, Like I said, there was the whole him and Barabbas thing. It was a big deal to everybody. Uh, and they knew this whole raising from the dead in three days thing. So they wanted to prevent any shenanigans. So they, they put a, a guard there. They wanted to be careful to secure the tomb. And um, first of all, there's these Roman soldiers guarding the tomb. Now, we're not talking about a couple of random dudes with knives, like a malicious style. Like, uh, that was not what happened. Roman soldiers were the best of the best at the time. These were trained killers that, like, they, they, there was, the stakes were high for these guys. And uh, nobody knew, knows exactly how many they had. The very the most conservative minimum would have been four, at least four, um, <laughs> four people, at least at the very very least, there was four trained killers guarding Jesus's tomb. But history kind of implies that a Roman guard, which is the words used, would have meant sixteen men. That's probably how many men were guarding Jesus's tomb. That's a big deal. 16 trained killers, the best of the best at the time. And these 16 men had their lives on the line. If they failed, they would have been killed. 
In fact, um, they didn't even have to fail. They just were to fall asleep. They would be killed. In fact, if just one of the men fell asleep, the entire guard would have been put to death. That's a big deal. The stakes were very, very high for these men. Uh, so keep all of that in mind. An empty tomb was, a, was bad news for this Roman guard, these 16 men. So knowing the skills of the soldiers and that their lives are at stake, it's incredibly unlikely that anyone would fall asleep. It's also incredibly likely, unlikely that they would have accepted a bribe or something like that. The point is, you were not getting through these 16 soldiers. There's no way a couple Christians could have gone in their ninja style and, and taken Jesus' body. If the 16 men are not enough, maybe they all fell asleep or they were all, you know, they were all in the bathroom at the same time, something like that. Um, even if that wasn't enough, there was a giant rock that they rolled in front of the tomb. There was this huge rock and um, so that nobody could mess with the body. Historical records outside the Bible would say that this rock would probably take about 20 men to move. Like, this is not a little rock. About 20 men would be required to move it. So this would have been impossible for just a couple dudes to pull off. It just couldn't be done. Too much commotion, even, even if they were trying to move this giant rock, you were, you're about to wake these guys that are trying to kill you. It's just not... It just doesn't make sense. <laughs> There's no way to do that without the guards noticing. So I'm comfortable saying with confidence that this is not plausible either. There is no way a couple ninja Christians got into the tomb and took Jesus' body. It's just not plausible. So you've got the argument that uh, enemies of Christianity didn't steal Jesus' body. Um, a couple Christians couldn't have stolen Jesus' body. Um, but we have one uh, possibility left. What if the disciples got a little group together, maybe the 12 of them plus enough to make sure that they were able to move that rock. They got together, and they took Jesus' body, and then they told everyone else that he rose from the dead. This is probably the strongest argument for human intervention, and not because there's like a lot of evidence, because there isn't, but because it's the first one. It's the first, maybe this is what happened, and we see a record of that in the Bible, actually. They said maybe those disciples took Jesus' body. Um... So the story goes that the disciples got together enough people to move the rock, and they snuck in while the uh, guards were asleep. They rolled the stone away, and they stole Jesus' body. And then they sent Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, to go to the... They sent those two women to go to the tomb and discover it empty, and then make up this whole story about Jesus rising from the dead. We can see some problems we've already talked about. Um, the chances of the guards being asleep is just non-existent. Uh, even if so, they wouldn't be able to sleep through 20, 20 people moving a rock, that giant rock. There's no way they could have slept through that. Um, and if those aren't enough holes in the story, here's a couple more. <clears throat> they never would have let women in on their evil plan. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> it was a tough time for the chicas. Um, Women just didn't have much of a voice at the time. Even in the court system, like a te- an eyewitness testimony from a woman would not hold up to like a, a man saying, uh-uh. <laughs> like even in the court, they just were, their, their testimonies were not as, as strong as a man's were, uh, were in the court system. So if you're faking a resurrection, you would not send women to be a part of this <laughs> because no one trusts, no one's going to trust what they said. You would send some men to do that. So if they're faking the resurrection, they did it wrong. Another compelling idea is to consider the integrity of the disciples. Um, they had just spent years with Jesus learning all about love, learning all about 
love and honesty and integrity. And it will be really weird for them to abandon all of that and fake the resurrection. But let's explore it and just say that they did. If they were to have lied, um, then they go around the world preaching about Jesus' resurrection. They devoted their lives to it, to this, to this resurrection. But would they have devoted their lives if they were lying? That's the question. Would they have spent their whole lives preaching about Jesus' resurrection if they had faked it? And not only did they live for Jesus, they did not only like devoted their lives to God, but they gave their lives to preach Jesus' name. All but one of the 12 disciples was put to a violent death, was like killed in the name of preaching Jesus. And that one that didn't was, was boiled alive in oil and miraculously survived. And then they exiled him to an island for a little while to like live in the mines. And they were like, man, we just can't kill this guy. And they eventually like gave him, let him come back. Like it was like really weird. Like he would experience some violence. These people were beaten. They were stoned. They were uh, stabbed. A couple of them died just by sword wounds. A couple of them were crucified. And um, one was crucified on an X rather than a cross. One was crucified upside, or Paul was crucified upside down, I think. Um, or Peter? I don't remember. Peter? Yeah. After I said it, I was like, that's all right. Um, my point is, some of them were crucified, and if you know anything about crucifixion, it's like a slow death. Like, you're not just like electric chair and you're done. You're like days hanging on that cross. And um, these people were hanging on the cross, preaching to people that walked by. <laughs> like, they were being killed slowly for preaching Jesus, and they were still preaching Jesus. That's devotion. That's That's... Too much if they're lying, is my point. <laughs> There's just no way. If they were making it up, at least one of these 12 disciples would have said, all right, I give. Don't boil me alive in oil. I was a lie. Like, I'm not going to be killed for this thing that we made up. And that's the argument that there's no way the disciples lied about this. There's no way the disciples got a group together and miraculously got past these guards and managed to move this stone and stole Jesus' body, which was never found, and then lived their entire lives being beaten and stabbed for a lie. There's just no way. It's not possible. So I can say, I'm comfortable saying with confidence, that the disciples did not get a group together and fake the empty tomb. If you could put some music on there in the back, that would be helpful to me. Um, Well, there you have it. We did it. We have proved the resurrection of Jesus. Tell all your friends. Um, I can prove it now. That's what you say to everyone you know. Um, of course, I'm kidding. People will always have questions. People will always have doubts. You will always have doubts. Even right now, if you're saying, wow, that totally makes sense. I'm never going to doubt it again. It will happen. Um, it happens. You have questions. You have doubts. But I'm hoping that this information makes you a little more confident, brings you a little closer um, to knowing why you believe what you believe. We can say with confidence that Jesus' tomb was empty only because of divine intervention, because God raised him from the dead. History tells us that the tomb was empty. There's barely any question in that. Um, So that means that either people came and took his body, or God raised him from the dead. But the enemies of Christianity would have just produced his body when the resurrection things, uh, the resurrection talk happened. They would have just showed his body and said it didn't happen. Um, A couple rogue Christians, there's no way they could have gotten past guards and moved the stone. And the disciples wouldn't have betrayed Jesus's teachings that they knew so, so well to fake the resurrection. Even if they did, they wouldn't spend their entire lives devoted to it and then die for a lie. It's just not plausible. So if it wasn't man that took Jesus from the tomb, that means God did it. 
Jesus was crucified. He was placed in a tomb. And then three days later, the power of God resurrected him from the dead and he came back to life. That's a miracle. (laughs) The resurrection is just so, so important to the Christian faith. That's kind of how we started here tonight. It's so, so important. And so we need to believe that it's true. We need to have some idea of why we believe what we believe. Why do you believe that the Bible is telling the truth about the resurrection? Now, through this discussion about apologetics, we've been talking about why it's important. Last week, we zeroed in on the, on the, the first reason why it's important, that you need to own your faith because you can't coast off of your family's faith forever. You got to own your faith because when you start making decisions for yourself, if you haven't owned your faith, Jesus will not be one of those decisions. Now tonight in your small groups, we're going to be talking about the second reason, um, having a burden for people in your life that don't have God in theirs. And it's just so important that we remember that hell is as real as heaven is. We talk so much about eternal life, but eternal death is just as real, and people you know are headed there. People you know are on a path to eternal death, and that scares me, and that breaks my heart, and I've cried over my friends who don't know God. And I hope that you pray for that passion, that the, the, a burden. Pray that God breaks your heart for what breaks his heart. That seeing people go to hell is not okay. And it should make us emotional. Like it should bring something up in us. A a desire, a passion to tell people the good news of God. And even if it's some science and history and logic that brings them there, uh, the presence of God will make them stay. I'm going to pray for your conversations tonight. And, and I want you to know that you could be a part of God's plan to bring someone into eternal life. You, you can't save anyone. That's not your job. But you can be a part of that process for somebody, for one of your friends. And, and I hope that you're thinking of someone right now um, that you know needs to have this encounter with God and needs to know that God's real. And, and maybe they require a little logic and history to, to get there. You could be a part of that journey for them. And that's so important. So I'm going to pray for you. And I hope you join me in your private prayers in asking God to give you a burden for those who don't know him. Let's pray. God, I thank you for every teenager here tonight. And I know that you have a purpose and a plan for every one of them. That as I look out on on teenagers who are who some would call children <laughs> that you have a you-sized goal you have a god-sized purpose for each and every one of them and that you can do amazing things through each and every one of them because you love to use broken people and that makes every person in this room eligible and i'm so thankful that you let us be a part of your mission and your 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 goals here that is to bring people into your kingdom So God, I pray you give each and every one of us a burden for the lost, a passion for people who don't know you, God. Break our hearts for what breaks your heart. God, don't let us see faces in a hallway. Help us to see souls that that every person you meet is going to live for eternity. Either in heaven or hell. God, help us to realize that reality. God, I pray you guide our discussions tonight. Help us to uh, understand this better and better and uh, learn about you and get closer to you as we learn about you. We love you, Father. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.
This is Pastor Chris, and I want to thank you for listening into this Apex teaching. You can find more messages from all of our BMHA pastors at bmha.org. I pray that this message has impacted your life and that you don't walk away without looking a little bit more like Jesus.